Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men, a podcast about role-playing games, board games, and tabletop war games. Today, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics, MacGuffins, plot devices, and magical items. All that sort of good stuff that you get when you play a fantasy game, or even a sci-fi game. Huzzah! I'm your host, Troy. Pronouns he, him. You can call me Ed. My pronouns are they and them. Today's a sleepy cast. Today is a sleepy cast, because... Actually, it, it we got an extra hour of sleep, but it's still a sleepy cast. Before we get into the main topic, we're going to do a little thing. This week in hobby. So, Ed, what have you done in the last week in terms of hobby? In painting stuff, or making stuff, or anything to do with our various hobby games? For the most part, it's mostly just been working on the box set for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, I don't really know why I procrastinated on jumping in for so long, considering how much I like comic books. Maybe just because I'm not as much of a Marvel fan as I am DC. But it's been good so far trying out a new comic book-inspired style that uh, Epic Duck Studios did for a tutorial. So we'll see how well that comes out. Right now I just need to get some uh, really good black ink to do all the shading and cell cell shaded look on it but it seems to be going good so far yeah and i've been going through my miniatures backlog i have a huge pile of stuff that's i've started i've primed and started painting and i need to get a lot of it done because the hero quest box set is supposed to show up at my door sometime in this next week and i gotta start cranking that out so that i can play it with people I forgot about HeroQuest, and it's only been, like, two days since I last thought about it. Yeah. Or maybe a day since we talked about it yesterday. We did, yeah. Um, no, but I got a couple of ghouls done. I got a couple of little terrain pieces, uh, some barrels and uh, kegs, and I got some of the animal miniature heroes finished as well. Nice. Just, like, another bunch of fallout guys some more star wars miniatures and a couple of uh, fantasy monsters that need to get cleared out before i have an open table yeah i was trying to finish up my infinity stuff before i moved on to marvel but i don't know what it is about infinity that i just can't seem to push myself through to actually finishing the set i don't know it'll it'll get finished in theory someday they're super detailed so sometimes it's hard to find the motivation to paint those itty-bitty details. They're super detailed, and I went with kind of a complex color scheme that it worked on the first model, and I don't know if I've just kind of since forgotten my train of thought since I did that, but I don't know. It, someday, in theory, we'll play with a fully painted set of Infinity guys. Yep, someday. Probably when we're back to doing stuff in person all the time. Probably. Hopefully soon. That would be nice. I need to uh, finish cleaning up my office here and then find a sturdy enough card table and we should have enough room to play. Just about anything. On to the main topic. MacGuffins, plot devices, magical artifacts, and powers are a staple of fantasy literature and a good part of any RPG campaign for the most part. 
But where do they come from? What makes them interesting? Why do we use them? What are some of our personal favorites? Let's talk about it. So first, where do they come from? Well, humans like to assign importance to shiny things. The example of the like magical special item that is the goal of a plot is almost as old as stories themselves. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts were looking for the Golden Fleece. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, the first like written mythology story with the hero character and stuff, the second half of it, he was looking for a herb that would make him immortal after his buddy Enkidu died. It, the Epic of Gilgamesh is really weird and cool, and if you're into mythology and fantasy and haven't read it, I recommend it. It's an interesting story, and it's kind of impressive how much we have of it, given that it's written down on 12 clay tablets and parts of it have kind of been pieced together. All I really remember about it is that in my, like, Intro to Humanities college class, the text just had, like, big sections where it says, you know, like, text is lost or text unavailable, and then it would just pick up wherever the document continued. Yeah, um, and the final tablet, like, the first 11 tablets all kind of string together a coherent story, and then the 12th tablet seems to have been added sometime later, because it picks up and is kind of sequel-ish. Like, certain characters who are dead are now alive again, except they have to go do other things, and it's a weird add-on that's, you know, seems like someone else wrote it. Humanity's first attempt at a retcon. Pretty much, yeah, the original retcon. The special, magical, powerful item is a core aspect of storytelling as much as the rule of three or the use of foreshadowing. It's been around for a long, long time, and it makes its way into just about every good story. Uh, fantasy story, that is. Normal stories... It makes its way into normal stories, too. If you look at something like Pulp Fiction with the briefcase, or uh, the Maltese Falcon with the Maltese Falcon, um, having a item that's important and sort of drives the plot in terms of creating motivation for people and groups to do things is really easy and can help push things forward. But what makes MacGuffin's plot devices, magical items, interesting? Ed, your thoughts? What makes it interesting? Probably just giving, at least in the case of, like, magical items, giving the players the ability to do something that they wouldn't normally be able to do otherwise, or adding kind of an interesting variable to what would otherwise be just you know, like a standard encounter, or even in my case, just hilarious items like the uh, magical book flail uh, that you guys got from slaying that bookshelf uh, at the beginning of the D&D campaign. And you just have a book on a chain and it flies around and tries to bite things. And at least to me, that's pretty hilarious. Those are cool, but those are more magical items as in things that the players have and use. I'm talking more in the discussion of plot items. Mm, I think as far as plot items, really, it's just you need something to keep, you know, keep the game moving. The, the cardinal rule of D&D, keep the game moving. Um, it's something that, you know, you guys can follow rather than either me trying to exposition a way for you guys to find the next 
point in the plot, if you guys have an item that you can look at and kind of add in your own brain power to be like, oh, maybe this is, you know, what we're looking for and says we should go this way, or, you know, this is important to another player, it just helps make those connections in the plot thread without using just straight exposition. Yeah, um, and to that point, you said that something that has a connection to the player, and that's what I think is the most important part with these, is what makes an interesting and memorable, like, MacGuffin plot device, magical crystal that'll save the world, is one that is linked to the setting and the plot and the characters. A magical runestone is only a good plot device if the magic in the setting relies on runes. Or the, one of the characters does stuff with runes. It only makes sense, it only interests people if it is part of the setting. A golden statue of a bird with ruby eyes is a great MacGuffin if you're telling a story about greed and people wanting this object of great wealth. A cup filled with holy water is cool if your entire plot is built around, like, Christian mythology, because then you got your grail going on. The sort of, like, incredibly important item is really at its best when it expands on the setting and makes a, like, core impact with the setting. An example, I ran a D&D campaign where the first half was trying to prevent the bad guy from getting a magical sword that would allow him to unify the evil kingdoms and launch an invasion of the human lands. It made sense because he was a hobgoblin warlord, and so this legendary magical sword kind of fit with the warlord stuff and you know it gave the characters something to find and try to prevent him from getting they failed because they got to the final room where it was and the people they were chasing it were and decided to take a long rest instead of go in whoops yeah they they could have gone in and fought those guys but they decided to wait eight hours <clears throat> Hey, man, you gotta save before you try anything rash. Yeah, but it gave the opponents enough time to, like, finish disarming all the traps, collect the artifact, and leave. Eh, how, how, how far could they get in eight hours? There were magic portals exiting the dungeon. Oh, well, that changes it entirely. Yeah, um, the players then used the magic portals and got lost. <laughs> it was a fun game. It, sadly... Uh, ended about three sessions before the final boss fight. That was disappointing. Having a MacGuffin or a plot device that is meaningful to the setting is, I think, the real key. Is It should be meaningful to the setting, and it should be unique and interesting. If you have a setting full of magical swords, where, like, everyone's got a magic sword... Maybe your plot device shouldn't be a magic sword. Maybe it should be something else. If you have a setting where everything runs on magic crystals, maybe your plot device, the important thing that people are going for, should be, I don't know, a, a plant? A magical cat that poops crystals? Something that's related but isn't totally already there everywhere in your setting. It needs to be unique and memorable. Has to be something that's, yeah, unique and memorable. Here's a here's a question. Um, 
Does a MacGuffin specifically have to be useless? That's the definition that I kind of remember from when I first heard the term back in, like, middle school, was that the MacGuffin was kind of pointless or really didn't have anything to do with the plot, but drove the plot, kind of like how in Pulp Fiction nobody really cared what was in the briefcase, but just the fact that the briefcase existed was enough to keep the plot going. Yeah, so the difference between a MacGuffin and a plot device is that a MacGuffin can be anything, but having it be something cool and unique and interesting looking or interesting sounding enhances the story. A MacGuffin works if you swap it out for another MacGuffin. So the spice from Dune wouldn't be a MacGuffin because you couldn't just swap the spice for something else and have it be the same driving factor of the plot. It would work for the first half. Mm -hmm. The point in the second half of the story when, spoiler alert, for a book that's how, 60 years old at this point? Something like that. Yeah, spoiler alert for Dune, guys. If you haven't read it, it's your own damn fault. Taking a massive dose of spice allows Paul Atreides to become the Kavats Hadarach and look where others may not. It gives him psychic powers, essentially. So, at that point, it stops being a MacGuffin and becomes a plot device because it changes elements of the story. It is a object or item that goes from, like, driving the plot of the story to altering the course of it. Okay, that makes sense. For example... You said the glowing briefcase from Pulp Fiction, and yeah, that's a perfect MacGuffin. It does nothing in the story itself. The Holy Grail, or the Ark of the Covenant from the Indiana Jones movies, are both MacGuffins right up until the very end where they do something important in the plot. Uh, in the case of the Holy Grail, it you know saves somebody's life and then causes the temple to collapse when they try to remove it. In the case of the Ark of the Covenant, it... Kills a bunch of Nazis. Good work, Ark of the Covenant. So things can be MacGuffins until they're not. Yes. Schrodinger's MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd say it's also something of a Ch Chekhov's gun, because you see the item in Act 1, and it drives the plot in Act 2, and then in Act 3, it activates and does the thing. I like that description better. Yeah. So then, what are some of the favorites? Like MacGuffin, plot device, magical items. The big ones. What distinguishes these ones from the, like, magical plus one sword or the flail book or the singing hat or whatever cool, fun, silly magical item is that they have big plot implications. And they should be memorable and cool and rare. You typically only want to have one or two of them in your D&D campaign Unless you have, like, a multi-part one where the goal is to collect the 12 parts of the magical seal that will unleash Cthulhu upon the world or whatever. So, what are some of our favorites from anything? Hmm, that's a good question. I think just kind of my only vague understanding of, like, the difference between MacGuffin versus other plot-driving factors might have hindered my ability to come up with any good ones. I think you could... You could consider, like, the Infinity Stones, possibly, from, like, MCU. Yes. Uh, MacGuffins, because, you know, they're important, but at least until, I think, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy is the first time that we see one actually do something, and then even then, they're still just kind of unknown quantities, really, other than the fact that we know they're important and Thanos wants them, 
and then he gets all the stones, and then the stuff happens, and you get your advancement of the plot. Well, the Infinity Stones are a great example of MacGuffin slash plot devices, uh, and the first time we see them do stuff would be Captain America the First Avenger, because the Tesseract is the space stone. Oh, that's right. I forgot the Tesseract has the, yep, yeah, it has the stone in it. Yeah, you, you think it's a cosmic cube, but no, it was me, the space stone, all along. I was thinking more like the first time we actually see, like, the physical stone and kind of realize what's in there, but it's also been a long time since I saw First Avengers, so I could be completely forgetting big elements of that movie, since it wasn't necessarily one of my favorites. We see the cube. We're not told that they're Infinity Stones until Guardians of the Galaxy. Got it. And about how powerful they are. We kind of know that that's coming, but Guardians is where they're like, yeah, we're doing Infinity Stones. Get ready. Well, here's a here's an interesting one for you. In Morrowind, could your player character be considered a MacGuffin? I don't think so. The plot on Morrowind is not... It, it is a prophecy plot and not a MacGuffin plot. Okay. The Heart of Lokran is a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. The, like, magical artifact heart that is warping the world that you need to destroy to win to defeat the game and finish the main plot, that's the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, like, cool magical artifacts that go with it, the uh, gloves that I forget the name of, and the sword and hammer that you have to use to destroy that, those are your, like, plot device magical items. Because they're really powerful and you have to do stuff to get them. Your character is not a MacGuffin. Because you're a, like, reincarnation prophecy thing going on, which is a whole other trope on its own. But there's also a classic, like, magic item plot device MacGuffin that you're forgetting, which is the Ring of Power. The One Ring. To rule them all. Oh. Duh. I... I think I need to go down to the Union Hall now and give them my nerd card back for failing that exam. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good one because it's a MacGuffin in that it drives the plot. Searching for the One Ring and then having to take it to Mordor to be destroyed is the core plot for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But also, it has powers. It does things. It warps the person carrying it and turns them more and more selfish and evil. Which makes it not just a briefcase that's full of gold or whatever but something magical and interesting to think about it's also tied so very heavily into the mythology of the setting the epic poem about the rings for the various races and one ring to rule them all one ring to find them one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them earlier i had been thinking that maybe games like frostgrave or uh, Mordheim, where you're running around specifically trying to collect items, that that could be, like, MacGuffin-based gameplay, but I'm guessing that by your definition of having them be rare motivating factors doesn't really qualify, you know, if the board is covered with these tokens that you're trying to get, it doesn't really matter what's in them, they're just what drives the game forward. Yeah, that's a resource-based gameplay. mm mm-hmm. You're attempting to acquire a resource. It does happen to be a magical or interesting resource, but you are just getting a resource. Got it. There are some that do narrative campaign 
things for like more time in Frostgrave, um, where you try to get like one specific powerful item and that drives a set of a couple of missions. Mm. I think the Hunt the Golem campaign in Frostgrave is like that, where you can try and get an item that allows you to control a golem and do stuff, and that would be a MacGuffin chasing plot. I think so. It's been a while since I've read through it. Other cool plot device magical items that maybe are not fully MacGuffins, but they are really cool, like, standout magic items. Let's do the silly one first. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. <laughs> it's a one-use, like, random holy item that just changes the plot. And it has a whole bunch of mythology built around it in the silliest way possible, which is literally having someone read the mythology about it. I, I love the Holy Hand Grenade. It's a good one. It also ties in really nicely with the setting because the setting is fake Arthurian knights gone a quest. Yeah, just looking around here in the nerd office trying to find other uh, last-minute examples of MacGuffins to uh, cover for my lack of preparedness. Um, the Triforce from Legend of Zelda, that would be uh, another one that I think would qualify as MacGuffin. Yeah, I'm not f super familiar with the Zelda stuff. Pretty much it's like, it's a vaguely holy artifact of power, and there's like three different pieces of it, and there are characters who are like kind of destined to have them. Yeah, I'm not big into the lore of Zelda either, but that's what I know from just the few that I have played, but there it's an item that, you know, you're trying to you're trying to get it because your character is supposed to have it. And usually it ends up with the uh, big bad evil guy having all three pieces at the end. You have to defeat him and all that. Yeah. For most of it it's just like, yep, it's a thing that you're trying to find. And that's about as deep as they go into it, just from my understanding. That sounds incredibly MacGuffinish. But yeah, MacGuffins show up in all sorts of stories and mythology. In a cyberpunk one, Neuromancer. Still have yet to finish it. I'm making slow progress, but I'm not a huge, like, spoiler person, so go ahead and spoil away. So, spoiler for Neuromancer. At the end, the, like, the big cyberpunk crime spree thing they do is to unite two AIs into one more powerful special AI because it was designed that way. And to do so, they need to recover a specific terminal that's all fancy and is locked up in a mansion in space and input a specific password into that terminal. The terminal is the MacGuffin because they have to undertake this essentially quest, but it's a heist quest in order to locate the MacGuffin and enter the password into it. And in doing so, the artificial intelligence will pay them a shitload of money. That's the gist of Neuromancer, or the gist of the ending of Neuromancer. And that doesn't get into the characters and their interesting motivations and backstories, and just go read Neuromancer if you haven't. We're giving out a lot of reading recommendations this week. Like I said earlier, if you haven't read it, it's your own damn fault, which includes me. Yeah, this, this goes for Dune, The Epic of Gilgamesh, and Neuromancer. Yep. And I guess Lord of the Rings, because we talked about that as well. Surprise, we're a literature podcast. Surprise! And another one from literature, and in this case, mythology, I guess. The Grass-Cutting Sword from Japanese mythology, also known as Kusanagi no Tsurugi. 
I think I pronounced that at least somewhat close. It's a new one to me, so your guess is as good as mine. It's a sword that one of the gods of, like, early Japan got after killing an eight-headed dragon. Fun. Then it was given to, like, a prince who used it to do some stuff. And basically, it's kind of an Excalibur kind of sword, except that, theoretically, it's not in a, in a rock somewhere in the middle of England that no one knows about, and whoever pulls it out becomes the king. Theoretically, it still exists and is owned by the Japanese imperial family. But you're not allowed to look at it because it's a gift from the gods, so no one can see it. But trust us, it's there. But trust us, it's in a box. But you can't actually look at the box either because it's a holy sword, so they cover it with a sheet when they take it out. So considering that all these examples that we've been given and then the fact that MacGuffins are specifically items of plot... Do they have any place within simulation or gamist-style games? Or is that an element exclusive to storytelling mechanics within games? I think the primary feature is that these are going to be a storytelling element. But that does not mean that you can't give them powers that can be used for a gamist system. Mm -hmm. Another weird-ass example is the, uh, what was it, the Jackie Chan Adventures TV show cartoon? I, I don't think I ever watched that. If I did, I think I maybe saw one episode while on a flight to China. That seems about right. Um, the core plot for the first season, I think, was that there were 12 talismans, each one linked up with one of the animals of the Chinese Zodiac, and that each one gave you essentially superpowers if you held it. Sometimes relating to the animal, sometimes it was, like, just lasers. Surprise, lasers. I didn't I didn't read that part of the Chinese Zodiac. Surprise, the Year of the Rooster gives you lasers. If you get all 12 of them together, it unlocks the seal that releases an ancient dragon upon the world. So they were both MacGuffins and, like, magical artifacts that gave interesting and useful powers to the characters. So that's something to think about if you're trying to use these sorts of things in your game, is that you can have MacGuffins that are just artifacts, items, distant goals that characters are trying to achieve, but you can also have them be important and do something for the players that make the players want to keep them around. <clears throat> the thing to remember, or at least... The thing I try to do when I'm creating these for the campaign for a campaign I'm running is that the MacGuffin special plot device items should do something that is generally outside the bounds of what a normal magic item can do. Example, I ran a game, there were like nine magical weapons, putting them together did some stuff. I don't remember the details, it was many years ago. But each of the weapons did something specific and interesting when used. One of them, for example, would let you enter someone's dreams. And you could kill stuff in their dreams from holding a dagger. Yeah, that's definitely one that I haven't come across. Yeah, um, another one was a greatsword that was good at demolishing buildings. If you hit a structure with it, 
it would weaken the structure, and if you hit a structure a couple of times, it would collapse the building. That honestly sounds like an item that your current uh, D&D character would take great joy in using. Oh yeah, he would he would want that immediately, Mr. Barbarian. But yeah, it, it's something that is not in the collection of standard D&D items because it would be very hard to balance for the collection of standard D&D items. And that's kind of the thing with these plot devices, MacGuffins, super things, is that they don't have to be balanced because they aren't an element of the system, they're an element of the plot. And aside from doing, like, a specific cool thing, the rest of what they do changes as the plot demands it to. So these MacGuffins plot devices, they don't have to just be magical artifacts. If you're running a science fiction campaign, you can have it be something cool as well. We mentioned Neuromancer and Dune with uh, Spice and the, like, fancy terminal thing. But also, even in stuff like the Fallout games, the, what was it, the Gek? Uh, the Gek, uh, the Platinum Chip, that would be another MacGuffin. Water, the Water Chip from the original one. I thought I had more for Fallout. Fallout is full of these sorts of things, too. You have a specific important item that's a technological item, and that's what you're trying to retrieve, and that drives the plot. This can be used in a lot of science fiction settings. It can be simply advanced technology that is made by a special thing, like a prototype item or prototype sh drive for a ship or something. Or it can be ancient lost alien technology, if you're doing that sort of thing. Or it can just be, like, something important. A uh, diplomatic courier bag that's carries a message between two base empires or whatever. Fancy piece of art. An artificial intelligence that knows the secrets of fancy art. <laughs> Artbot 9000. This sort of thing is can be used to drive the plot and can also, uh, with some of those examples, provide player characters or just characters with an interesting ability beyond the the reach of the things they would normally get. Uh, your fancy prototype ship drive may make their ship faster and better than everyone else's. The AI that knows how to do fancy art may, like, be able to give them cool ideas and do neat stuff for them. So a good MacGuffin and plot device needs to mesh with the setting. It needs to be of interest to the players and their motivations. And it needs to do something special that makes it different and better than just having, like, a fancy sword or a whatever. Yeah, sorry, I'm not a, I'm not a whole lot of help on this episode. I think you're a, a much more competent storyteller and literature person than I am. I tend to not pay a whole lot of attention to those elements of narrative construction, which I probably should as somebody who's branching out into DMing, but from somebody who's just feels like very much a surface level enjoyer and or player. Uh, it's something that I haven't really given a whole lot of thought of until now. Well, in that case, I hope this episode is helpful to you as well as to our listeners. Huzzah. Huzzah. Right. And that, that basically does it for MacGuffin's plot devices, magical items of power. They're cool. You should probably use them in your games because they're what people expect. And you should keep in mind what makes them interesting and what makes them memorable. 
And if you see a good example in a book or a TV show or a cartoon or a comic or wherever, steal it. <laughs> steal it wholesale. Just change the names a little. It's the best trick to DMing I can give you. This is the, uh, the non-flowing spice. It tastes like pumpkin spice. It doesn't do a whole lot for you. But you want it anyway, because it's that time of year. Well, I was more speaking like, you know, the one ring of power, uh, let's make it into a crown, and it doesn't turn you invisible, it grants you like a magical shield that protects you from anything. Got it. You, you take the item and the core concept of the plot, and you just reskin it to fit your setting and your ideas, and then you run with it, and as long as you make it different enough, people aren't going to notice, and even if they do, if you make it interesting and cool, they're not going to care. Run with it like you stole it, because you did. As Picasso said, good artists copy, great artists steal. Yep, I've done a lot of that, a lot of uh, duplicated drawings most likely to the detriment of my own artistic ability. <laughs> yeah. Paint it like you stole it. That's exactly what I'm doing now. I'm copying uh, Epic Duck Studios' uh, comic-style uh, paint scheme as we speak. Cool. All right, so that's the big thing. Last bit on the podcast is the board game segment. Today, we're going to be talking about Azul. Uh, Azul is a like family board game. It came out in 2017 and won a literal pile of awards. Golden Geek, Family Game of the Year, few different Euro Games, Origin Award for Best Family in Game, uh, the 2018 Spiel der Jahres from the big German like game convention. It's a two to four player game about taking tiles and filling up a little like chart of your tiles and it's really good and really fun and not complicated and it's it's the kind of game you can get your parents who don't play board games to do there's no dice rolls there's no like cards to remember things there's no no elements of chance really the, old, the primary element of randomness is based in how you draw the tiles out of the bag and place them onto the board. That it is. The other cool thing about it is that it's a very pretty game. The tiles themselves are these nice plastic blocks with patterns and colors, and when you put them all together, they do kind of the idea behind the game, which is they create a cool pattern of tiles based on uh, Portuguese tiles. From, I think, the, like... I think it was supposed to be, like, the Moorish period on the Iberian Peninsula. Yeah, or the end of the Moorish period. And it has a couple of follow-up games, a stained glass one, and then, like, another different style tile one. And it's just a really fun game, and it's really nicely put together. So, yeah, I recommend getting it. I, I play it with my family a lot. They love it, even though they would not play any sort of complicated board game this is fairly close to the like top of what they would play and, and it's better than Catan. i think you could argue that a lot of things are better than Catan, even though i thoroughly enjoy it 
I don't like Catan. We'll talk about it at a later date. <laughs> we should just do a whole episode about board games we hate. We will do an episode about board games we love and board games we hate. Yeah, so that's it. Azul is a cool board game. It's got nice components. It's won a bunch of awards for being a good board game. It's pretty. It's playable with uh, people who aren't great at board games or who don't like complicated board games. It only takes half an hour, maybe 45 minutes to do a full round. Uh, and I recommend it and pick it up at your local board game store or game store. I would recommend it if I had played it, but I have not played it, unfortunately. Uh, I was trying to find it at one point, but it was ridiculously expensive at that at that time. So eventually I will play it. Yeah. Uh, check your local board game store or buy it off of Amazon, I guess, if you have to. But Boo. most board game stores are going to carry it. Yeah, similar to uh, Trail at House on the Hill, I think I've also seen this one at Target as well. Yeah, the box itself is really bright, colorful, cool, so that's a plus. It's one of those general interest board games that you're pretty likely to find just about anywhere that sells some kind of board game because it has enough interest to enough people that they're not going to have to worry about buying a bunch of copies and then just having them sit there because, you know, nobody wants to play War of the Ring who goes to Target. <laughs> I mean, I want to play War of the Ring, but I don't go to Target, so... I guess I'm not their target demographic! Oh, if I had an air horn and a soundboard, that's where I would put that in. So that's the board game segment. Um, Ed, anything you want to add here? The uh, support your local board game store. Play more board games. I definitely should. Yeah, that's about it. Also, read Dune. That's a that's a good one. That's that's my whole takeaway from this episode is just read Dune. I saw the movie and I'm rereading the book and just watched a review for the board game, so I'm on a big Dune kick right now. Yeah, I think that's our uh, that's our final thing for this. Read Dune, read Neuromancer, read the Epic of Gilgamesh. Do some reading. That's your homework. Uh, it will be on the midterm. It won't be on the midterm. It's a take home test anyways. <laughs> <laughs>